On this episode of the Discover the Word podcast, Daniel Ryan Day is going to be leading some conversations with Bill Crowder and Elisa Morgan and Rasul Berry about a single word, one word, that shows up again and again when you're reading the Old Testament. In this series, we're going to learn about a word in the Bible that comes with an implied promise. It's a word that actually we talk about pretty often on Discover the Word, the word chesed, where you kind of have to clear your throat a little bit. (laughs) And that word's used 180 times-ish in the Old Testament. And it's one of the primary ways that God introduces himself to the world. So that feels like it has a little bit of weight. Mm -hmm. And it's perhaps the biggest promise that God makes to humanity. And so join us as we talk about this really common Hebrew word in the Old Testament, chesed, what it means, how it can impact how we think about God, and how we read our Bibles, and what the implied promise is that is connected with this word. Another important hour we'll spend together studying the Bible, and this key word, chesed, is ahead of us on Discover the Word. And welcome to Discover the Word, the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures and challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ. Uh, Regular group members Daniel and Bill and Elisa and Rasul are who you'll be studying with. And as I said, it's an important Hebrew word, chesed, that we'll be tracing through some key passages throughout the Old Testament that will have this impact on our understanding of God and how we read the scriptures. It provides a foundational assumption that always needs to be in place as we read. And as Daniel said, this word also has in it an implied promise that may be the biggest promise that God makes to humanity. So Daniel wants to call the first part of this conversation about chesed, promises, promises. How do you know you can trust a promise? Or what makes a promise trustworthy? The character of the person making the promise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we're done. That was it yeah. <laughs> for me. I would add to that the track record, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, okay. you know, I, one of the things you notice when you fly is that, like, they'll sometimes show you the percentage of how likely it is that the flight leaves on time. Mm-hmm. And mm. if it's like 60-something percent, then you go, well... I don't know, versus like, was it like trains in Japan that like almost are never late? So the track record shows me I can mm. trust the promise that you're going mm. to do what you said you could do. Now you're pushing me to Yelp reviews, you know, and you know, <laughs> what do people say about various industries yeah. and, and um, providers? And can you trust that they're actually going to take care of your dog when you take them to be groomed mm-hmm. or, you know, do a decent deal with your room and a hotel reservation, et cetera? Mm-hmm. So... Great. Now you've got that in context. Now think about a moment when, and hopefully you're willing to share this. If not, that's okay. When you were promised something, but the promise fell through. This one is an easy memory. The first thing I think (laughs) of is uh, an uncle that when I was younger, I guess most of the people in the family knew, like, take his word for a grain of salt, but I was still young and impressionable. He was like, I'm going to take you to the ball game and I was like yeah (laughs) I'm going to the ball game and my family was like "Mm, (laughs) and turns out I didn't go and I was like really disappointed yeah see that's a great example because there were people in your family that 
already had a perspective mm-hmm. that yeah. when they heard that, they heard something different than what you heard. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I can't actually think of one straight up, but what I'm my mind goes to is a show where a brother tricked his little sister to go sit on the front porch and wait for a helicopter to come. Mm-hmm. And she sat there like all day waiting. So that's where my, my little head yeah. went. I was at a softball game for my daughter and they're like nine and 10 year olds playing. And one of the girls from the other team, her little brother was filming her at bat and starts yelling at her, if you get a hit, I'll give you $20. If you get a hit, I'll give you $20. (laughs) And Rebecca and I were already talking like, yeah, right. He probably doesn't have $20. And I'm pretty sure he turned around to everybody was like, I don't have $20. (laughs) 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 So anyway, we get used to hearing promises and... Throughout time, we become better and better at judging those promises by the person who's giving the promise and realizing, especially in painful circumstances, that all promises aren't kept. And in this series, we're going to learn about a word in particular in the Bible that comes with an implied promise. It's a word that actually we talk about pretty often on Discover the Word, the word chesed, where you kind of have to clear your throat a little bit. (laughs) And Brian and I, as we were talking about how often we reference this word, we thought we should have a series on it because that word's used 180 times-ish in the Old Testament. And it's one of the primary ways that God introduces himself to the world. So that feels like it has a little bit of weight. Mm -hmm. And it's perhaps the biggest promise that God makes to humanity And I know those are big things to say, so Mm. you'll have to hold me Mm. up to that and see if you agree by the end of the series. Uh, So what does that word mean? Well, that's the point. We're going to spend some time talking about it. And what's the promise? Well, you kind of tell me as we go. So what are the different promises that we hear embedded in this word? The first time I could find where the word shows up in the Bible is Genesis 21, verses 22 through 24. So before we talk about context or anything, if somebody could read that for us, maybe you, Elisa. Okay. At that time, Abimelech, with Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my offspring or with my posterity. But as I have dealt loyally with you, you will deal with me and with the land where you have resided as an alien. And Abraham said, I swear it. So I underlined the word for you and bolded it. What was the word where hesed shows up? Loyally. Yeah. So as I have dealt loyally with you, you will deal with me and with the land. So who's speaking? Abimelech. Okay. And what's he talking about? So he's talking about this treaty Mm -hmm. uh, with Abraham, and it's... A promise within the treaty that he will do right by him. Yeah. Mm. yeah he's not going to deal falsely. He's mm. not going to stab him in the back. He's not going to trick him. Now, some translations say kindness, show yeah. kindness. But then this this translation that I just read says loyally. Mm-hmm. That's going to keep showing up over and over again. <laughs> yeah, in fact, another... there's quite a few words that we're going to see yeah. Hesed is translated okay. as. Okay. And you can kind of already hear that though, right? Mm-hmm. Like the idea of treating someone loyally would include kindness Mm -hmm. in it. But kindness, I think, also loses a little bit of the fact that this is a treaty setting. Mm. Um, And so there's some expectations that come with the relationship that they're building. And those relational expectations are that they're going to treat each other well. It's more than just pulling out a chair for somebody. Yeah, Yeah, this is a 
perfect example, Daniel, of things that we've talked about here on the program before, and that's that words have shades of meaning. Mm -hmm. And so if somebody says, well, this means this, Mm -hmm. or this means that, and only that, in biblical terms, that's probably not the case. There's probably shades of meaning and a range of meaning that comes with those words. And hesed, as you're leading us, Daniel, is one of those words that has a lot of stuff packed into it. Good. Yep. So here we see chesed used in covenantal language, so in this treaty and this promise. Mm-hmm. Let's fast forward a few chapters. Genesis 24, verse 12. And Bill, could you read that for sure. us? And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Okay, so who's he? Well, Genesis 24, uh, it looks like that's Abraham's servant. Mm-hmm. Yep. And what is he doing? He's searching for a wife for Abraham's son, Isaac. Yep. And where's the word chesed? I bolded it for you. Steadfast love. So now we've got loyalty, mm, kindness, building. steadfast love um, are I different ways doing. that it's okay. translated. Okay. He actually, this servant uses that word again in verse 14 and verse 49, all in the same context of please show steadfast love to my master Abraham. I think that's interesting, Daniel, because I mean, you know, I think a lot of times when we pray, we want God to show steadfast love to us. Mm. But he's wanting God to show steadfast love to Abraham, who is his master. Yeah. Which is really, I think, a selfless kind of a prayer. Yeah, and that adds to the earlier passage where Abimelech is promising to show loyalty or kindness to Abraham. So that's another direction that we don't typically Mm -hmm. think of it. Yeah. The other thing that's interesting to me, too, and I think we'll feel this a little more in the next one where we hear God himself introduce himself as chesed. But it's interesting to me that the first two examples, it isn't Abraham that says God is Hesed, right? right? It's someone that is his servant instead. And so did this servant hear that from Abraham or not? We don't know. But it's just kind of interesting. The first one to say that God is a God of Hesed is a servant. servant. Mm -hmm. So then if we fast forward a little further, we get into the story of Joseph. Genesis 39, verse 21. Yeah, I got that. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. He gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. So do you see the bold there? What is the word hesed there again? Steadfast love. Mm -hmm. Yep, steadfast love. So who's speaking there? So this is the narrator, the story of Genesis explaining what's happening to Joseph. Yeah, and what has happened to Joseph? (laughs) He's been thrown in prison for a crime he didn't commit. So I think in that context in particular, it's really interesting to see that the Lord was with him and showed Mm -hmm. him steadfast love, even while he was still in prison. Yeah. So as the narrator is kind of going back over the story of Joseph and pulling this together for people later to hear this story, he sees God's steadfast love in a very unlikely scenario. God being faithful to Joseph, even when those who should have been faithful or care for Joseph weren't. Mm-hmm. And we see that again in Genesis forty fourteen. Mm-hmm. Here is where, in my translation, the word kindness is used. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, and so at this point, he's talking to Pharaoh's cupbearer because Joseph has just heard this dream that the cupbearer had had. And he explains what the dream means. And basically, the cupbearer is going to be set free. 
And so Joseph is like, hey, I'm in here and I shouldn't be. And so when you get out, would you please put in a good word for me and help me to get out? And that doesn't happen for a long time. Two years. <laughs> two and, years. And the, and the narrator says, just so we get the point, two full years. <laughs> yeah. just, That's good. Yeah. Mm. And so we see here kind of Joseph tying this word chesed to kindness, remembering, do what's right, and specifically to justice here. Yeah. My translation says favor. That makes good sense. Yeah. And then the last example that we'll talk about in this one is Genesis 47, verse 29. So, uh, Elisa, would you read that for us again real quick? When the time of Israel's death drew near, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If I found favor with you, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal loyally and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt. Yeah, so the word loyally um, and what's happening in this context. Jacob's dying and uh, he's pronouncing blessings over his sons and Joseph's sons. And he wants his body to be taken and buried. In his homeland. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting is that before he dies, Joseph will make the same request to his family. When you leave Egypt and return to the land of our forefathers, take my bones with you and bury them in that land. Mm -hmm. And so here we see chesed has to do with keeping promises. And so I'm asking you to please do this for me. And... Later they do, which, yeah. is, which is cool. So before the giving of the law, before chesed is used by God to describe himself, it's used to describe the way God deals with people. And I think we see in these passages, it's the way that God intended for us to treat one another as well. It's tied to treaties and covenants, but also stretches beyond that into keeping promises, into faithfulness, into this steadfast love that we'll kind of see throughout this series. So already we kind of see this picture of God as a promise keeper who is faithful, especially with Abraham's servant. But I think it gets even better in our next conversation because God's going to use this word to describe himself in a pretty powerful and important moment in Israel's history. I'm going to put you on the spot. Think of some of the most important people in your life. Let's say three. Okay. And then I'm, (laughs) this is going to be hard. I want you to pick one word to describe like one of the things that you very much value about that person. So three names and then a word to go with each. I'll get started to give you a second to think. So my list, Rebecca, and I think of her with the word companion. Mm. I think of my grandma, Mm. who loves listening to Discover the Word. I'm so glad you included your grandma. It makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the word I've got there is prayer. Ooh. Ah. Mm-hmm. Prayer. Yeah. Uh-huh. one who prays. Yep. Instead of prayer, mm-hmm. prayer. And then my mom and mm. the word servant. Mm. Those are the three mm. that came to mind. I'm realizing now they're all women. Yeah, I know. I noticed that. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Idea. So I thought of my husband, Evan. And the word stable, that's a word I first used about him when I met him. And it's been true for 40 plus years. Hmm. And then I thought of my dad and I wanted to say the word unpredictable, but I've changed Hmm. it to broken. And it's been an important influence in my life. My dad was broken. And then 
children, grandchildren. That's a category. That's cheating. Shapers. <laughs> the, my word would be shapers. They have really mm. shaped me, all mm. of them, my children and my grandchildren. I didn't think we could include those who have passed oh, well. from this life, <laughs> so I didn't include my mom, although if that's in play, I would definitely include there my you mom. Go. Mm. I would use the word encourager mm. for her because... In my life, in her opinion, I never preached a bad sermon, never wrote a bad article, never wrote a bad anything. I mean, mm-hmm. she was just so supportive. I've questioned <laughs> her, her judgment at times, but mom's pretty She sharp, sounds like a know. good mom. She's, yeah. a, she's a good mom. Mm-hmm. I include my wife, Marlene, of course, and the word I would use to describe her is partner mm-hmm. uh, because we've kind of been in lockstep. We met in college. And right along the way, she's just been a partner right there in step Mm -hmm. all the way. Mm -hmm. And I was going to go category with our kids. Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. And the word I would use to describe them is beloved. Mm. Tamika, my wife, I remember at one point a pastor who's been a mentor of mine. He said, you know, I noticed about her. She's your ride or die. Ooh. Ride dash or die. Mm-hmm. That means like. See, that's cheating too. You took three words and made it into one. <laughs> I word. believe Webster's would consider ride or die. <laughs> no, yes, I did. Um, but yeah, just has my back mm. all yeah. times. Mm. Love that. Then I, my daughter, I would just say compassionate. She's mm. very empathetic and you know just cares for those who are on the margins and who are suffering. And mom. Mm. Mom is supportive, mm. you know, without question. Three Just, women again. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> I love shout it. Shout out to the women. So, yeah. yes. So those are my three. Yeah. I think the other thing that's not surprising is sitting at this table with three other people that get paid to talk along with me and the fact that none of you actually used one word. Because <laughs> you explained the word you were going to use and then explained afterwards. Well, that's because, as we said in the last session, words have ranges of yeah, meaning. That's there, right. it there it is. Clear. Yeah. And uh, by the end of this series, I hope that all of us, when we think of God, maybe the one word that would come to mind is the word chesed. And God kind of teased that up for us because he's going to use that word to describe himself mm-hmm. in the Old Testament. But I'm hoping that as we continue through this series, that becomes like the one word that really sticks for us as we think about God, especially the God uh, that we see pictured in the Old Testament. And so let's see where he Mm. first introduces himself in that way. It's actually, it was in a surprising place for me. I thought it was Exodus 34, Mm. but actually God kind of introduces himself this way a little earlier. And this is Exodus 20 verses four through six. Rasul, would you read that for us? Love to. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. All right. So who's speaking here? This is God. God. Mm-hmm. Yep. What's the context? Ten commandments. Mm-hmm. Which command number are we I think at? it's number two. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now, what are some of the other words that your translations use for that word steadfast love there? 
Loving kindness is what the New American Standard has. Okay, loving kindness. Yeah. Jealous God, punishing the children. Okay, but showing love. Yeah. Just love. Love. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my ESV says steadfast love. So steadfast mm-hmm. love. Okay, mm-hmm. so loving kindness, love, steadfast love. Mm-hmm. What disturbs you most about this passage? Well, just the whole judgment and lightning strike. Absolutely. You're out. To me, it sounds like God's kind of a dictator, mm-hmm. someone who punishes children for what their parents do. That doesn't sound mean. like mm-hmm. the God that we talk about often. And it doesn't sound just, mm-hmm. right? Because he's causing suffering for children when it's the parents that made the mistake. Mm-hmm. Well, let's reframe it just a little bit. I think this might help us. And we're going to have to run into this a couple more times because other passages mm-hmm. reference this too. But just at the beginning here, How long do the consequences last in this? Three or four generations. Okay. But how long does God's steadfast love or love or loving kindness last? The thousandth generation. Thousandth generation. Which I think think we could honestly say that there have not yet been a thousand generations since God spoke these words. Mm. Hmm. So I just wonder Mm -hmm. if what's happening here is God's introducing himself into the world, that he is saying, I'm the kind of person that my love far outstretches the consequences of bad decisions or sin. So let's fast forward to the next place where this, and it's going to have the stickiness here too. It's going to be a little little tricky. Exodus 34 verses six through seven. And Elisa, if you want, you can read that for us. Sure. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, yet by no means clearing the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of the parents upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Yeah, so a repeated idea from Exodus 20. Here we see the word chesed used twice, so steadfast love, steadfast love. Moses is asked to see the Lord, and the Lord lets Moses see his backside, which it's okay to chuckle at that (laughs) a little bit, (laughs) and then introduces himself to Moses, and he says, this is the type of God that I am, a God of steadfast love, a God of steadfast love. And again, we see the same consequence thing, right? God's chesed lasts for how long? thousand generations. And the consequences last for three to four generations. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is if you think about what actually happens in this setting, the people have already abandoned God one time, Mm -hmm. right? So what happened at the bottom of the mountain? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I I think to go back further in the previous text you had us look at, they received the 10 commandments. And then a couple of chapters later, after Moses recounts some of the other law code that's been given, the people say everything that the Lord has commanded, we will, we will do. do. So yep. it's not just that God said all this stuff and they said, well, I'm not going to do that. No, they they commit themselves to keeping this. And yet then when Moses is on the mountain for too long, they immediately do exactly what the first commandment said not to do. They they make other gods or graven images of, mm-hmm. of, of a God with a golden calf. And they have this kind of bacchanalian orgy around it and... Moses comes down with the tablets of the law and smashes them. And there's a season of judgment mm-hmm. uh, for the sins of the people. And then Moses goes back up onto the mountain. And we got to be careful about speculating, but 
if I'm in Moses' place and I'm going up on the mountain, I'm kind of wondering, okay, what's going to happen now? I mean, yeah. we didn't last very long with this law thing and wonder what God's going to really do to us for failing. And, and then God responds with, I'm a God of steadfast love. Hmm. And repeats it twice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then again, we see the length of the consequences. So the consequences last for three or four generations. My love lasts for a thousand generations. You know, as we talk about the sticky part of the third and fourth generation and visiting iniquity or, or punishing, I'm wondering how in the context of the original audience, how they would hear that phrase. Like, mm-hmm. would they... S- feel like it's prickly like we do because it seems like in the context it's actually meant as a contrast i mean thousand versus third and fourth uh, is is not even in the realm of comparison but you know daniel just you have any thoughts on that or anybody about how they would have heard that would that would that rub them like it rubs Mm -hmm. us or they would expect any god Mm -hmm. that they disobey to make them suffer in some way. And their expectation in the ancient Near East would be something like, if they don't take care of the rain God well, mm-hmm. then they won't have rain, right. Yeah. right? Or there'll be some kind of storm that wipes out all their crops or whatever. And so they're very much used to like, try to keep God pleased mm. because otherwise there'll be really bad consequences. So I think the contrast is where God is differentiating himself from what you would expect of a God. So they would hear the contrast. They would, what would shout out loud would be the thousand generations yeah. steadfast love, even in the midst of that. That's very different, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if we fast forward to Numbers fourteen verses seventeen through nineteen, which we don't have time to read the whole thing, here the context is the people decide they don't want to enter the promised land. Mm-hmm. So God has led them to the edge of the promised land. It's time to go in. They send spies in. The spies come back. They decide we don't want to follow God into the promised land. So this is repeated again, this idea of God being slow to anger. And Moses actually quotes back to God, this promise that God has made twice to Moses. Mm -hmm. And what actually happens in the context of that? How many generations are stuck outside of the promised land? Hmm. One. 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 And not even the whole generation because Caleb gets to go in Mm -hmm. and Joshua gets to go Mm -hmm. in. So already Hmm. we see like, this doesn't quite mean what we think it means, right? Like God is, the way God is actually implementing this promise in the world is different than what we would expect. His generosity, his mercy, his steadfast love seems to be bigger than what we would expect. In fact, in that passage, he actually not only, is it only one generation and a couple of them get to go into the promised land, but he actually then takes them into a the wilderness, which seems scary, but it's actually a place of protection mm-hmm. for them because God mentions that the Amalekites and Canaanites live in the valleys. And if they stay there, they're going to get wiped out. So he literally, not only does he not zap them with lightning in that moment, but he actually moves them to a place of protection, mm-hmm. which I think is pretty powerful as well. And so I think as we think about this passage, one of the things we don't want to lose sight of is I think it's important for us to recognize God is not a God that whitewashes over sin or brokenness. There's still within this, the fact that God is a God of justice who deals with sin, but the way that God deals with sin is with his love. It's his love that Mm. deals with sin. Um, And so who is God? First and foremost, he's this God of steadfast love, a God whose love goes well beyond the consequences of our sin and brokenness. And we're going to see that play out throughout the rest of the Old Testament as well. 
Yeah, those are really important places that we see the word chesed in the law, in Torah. We see that God's steadfast, loyal, faithful love is the foundation for all of that. Well, you're listening to Discover the Word. In this episode, Bill Crowder, Elisa Morgan, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry are exploring this Hebrew word chesed and why it is so crucial in helping us know what God is like. And as we'll see in the next part of the conversation, is also a key piece of how we are to live and interact with others. I think one of the things that really jumped out to me as I was preparing for this series is how God's chesed is not just this expectation of how God treats people, but Mm -hmm. that there's an expectation built into that of how we then treat one another. Mm -hmm. And so we will move into some historical sections of the Old Testament in just a moment and discover more about how chesed is a key component in telling the story of the Bible. But first, let's take a quick break. Well, I'm sure it comes as no surprise to you that we are in the Christmas season. The uh, music that you hear, decorations all around us, and the marketing push has been in full swing for weeks. And it takes intentionality for us to focus on what we're really celebrating, and that is the birth of our Savior. So I've got a suggestion for you for getting into that kind of a holiday mood. How about if you dust off a few of our classic Discover the Word Christmas series from the past? Now, we've been doing Christmas-themed series for years, and a number of them are housed in the archive section of our discovertheword.org website, like the one called A Christmas Promise, Simeon's Story, or one called The Adventure of Advent. Uh, Bill led one called The Christmas Backstory, and there are more, a lot more as well, including a couple from way back when Haddon Robinson and Alice Matthews were part of the group. I think those DTW studies for Christmas will help you keep perspective and really celebrate this Christmas. So to start listening, go to discovertheword.org and click on the archive dropdown and then just type Christmas into the search line. And now, let's continue to dig deeper into this idea of chesed on this edition of the Discover the Word podcast. Okay, when you think of surprising Bible characters, so people you wouldn't expect to play a role in God's story, Hmm. who are some of the people you think of, other than just the fact that God uses people, period. (laughs) So extra surprising people. Yeah, Yeah. and that's kind of the (laughs) tension that I was feeling because the first (laughs) name that came to my mind was Thomas. Mm. And yet when you look at how John uses him in the Gospel of John, it actually makes perfect oh, sense gosh, because yes. he's kind of representative of mm-hmm. all of us mm-hmm. who struggle with doubt yeah. from time to time. So yeah. in one sense, it's surprising because you would expect that, you know, everybody's just right on board and they never take a backward step and they're all in all the way, no problem. And then Thomas speaks and it's like, mm. oops, wait a minute, what <laughs> was that? I think about all the gnarly, mean, ridiculously worshiping other gods, kings in Israel yeah. Judah's history. It's just stunning what they chose to do and that God continued to build his purposes in spite of them. Mm. It just blows me away. Yeah, he was still telling his story mm-hmm. and they didn't mm-hmm. get in the way of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think of Naomi. 
Yeah. You know, you hear the story mm. of this widow who has this tragedy with losing her two sons. And you mm. would think that's a sad story and mm-hmm. move on. But then this whole kinsman redeemer situation, Ruth shows up and before you know it, she's in the mm. lineage of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, um, just a powerful story of something that I think could be easily overlooked. Mm. Yeah, and that's a great example too because Ruth was not an Israelite. Right. Yes. Right, she's a Moabite yeah. who right. becomes... A foreigner. Mm-hmm. A f- she's a foreigner mm-hmm. yeah. and she becomes a hero in the story too. Yeah. If you look at Jesus' genealogy, there's a lot of folks in there that are surprising yeah. Really? Nice mm-hmm. nice question, Elisa. Thank you for that. Because mm-hmm. the person I think of, <laughs> or one of them, is Rahab. Mm-hmm. And we're going to read a part of Rahab's story because the word hesed shows up. She uses that word a couple times. Mm-hmm. So as we continue this series talking about God's faithful and loyal love for his people, let's look at how Rahab uses this word. So Joshua 2, verses 12 through 13. Sure. Rasul, would you read that? And uh, where you see the bold, yep. like emphasize that word pretty good because that's going to be the word hesed right. for us. Now then, since I have dealt kindly with you, there it is. swear to me <laughs> by the Lord that you in turn will deal kindly with my family. Give me a sign of good faith that you will spare my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. The men said to her, our life for yours. If you do not tell this business of ours, then we will deal kindly and faithfully with you when the Lord gives us the land. Yeah, so kindly there. Hmm. So who's talking? Uh, this is Rahab to the yep. spies. Mm-hmm. Yep. And when you say to the spies, what's mm-hmm. the context here? Mm-hmm. Well, Israel was looking to enter the promised land and they sent a group of 12 spies to spy out the land and see what it was like and come back and give a report. And some of those spies were hidden by Rahab in Jericho mm-hmm. at her home. Yep. And the city officials heard that men came in and out of her house. And there's a reason that that isn't shocking to them. And what is that? Well, she had provided a service to mm-hmm. men in the area, if you will. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't even hide the fact that mm-hmm. they came. Mm-hmm. In fact, when they come to her and they say, hey, we heard some men were coming in to your house. Where are they? Now she hides them <laughs> because she's heard these stories about this God that goes with them, that protects them and that fights for them. But... She also doesn't deny the fact that she Mm -hmm. saw them. She just hides them, which is interesting. And so she shows chesed to these men, which is like a protective loyalty, a protective loyalty. Mm -hmm. And they, as a favor in return, offer to show that same protective loyalty to her. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting, Elisa, as you mentioned, Rahab is in the lineage of Jesus Mm -hmm. as his great, 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 I don't know how many I need, <laughs> grandmother <laughs> yeah. uh, of Jesus. Um, one of the things I wanted to draw out here was just how, and we kind of saw this in the first conversation, but just how common the usage of the word hesed was in the ancient Near East, right? Mm-hmm. So it's showing up in treaty language or with promises and covenants. Here, Rahab's using it as a, hey, I'm going to do you a favor. I expect or would like you to do me a favor in return. And so after our last conversation where God uses this word to describe himself, I just found it so amazing that God uses this like very common word 
to describe himself instead of coming up with this new word. Hmm. Anyway, so for what that's worth, I think there's something beautiful in that. So now we're going to just cherry pick, which is always a good way to read the Bible, right? (laughs) Um, Some verses and just talk about the word hesed and how it shows up most commonly in the Bible. It shows up very much in the history books to describe dealing loyally or dealing kindly with people in general. In Judges 1, it's a similar story to that of Joshua. Some spies request kind treatment and they will show that kindness in return. Or in Judges 8, Bill, what happens in that story? Well, after Gideon of the trumpets and the torches fame mm-hmm. uh, and the tiny little army whittled down from a big army, after he dies, Judges 8 tells us that the people did not show Hesed to Gideon's family after all he had done for them. Mm. And it also describes the Israelites as forgetting God and all that God had done for them. Yeah. Here we see the opposite happening. Mm -hmm. You would imagine that after all Gideon and his family did for the people, that they would like at least take care of him and take care of his kids and all that. But we see the opposite Mm -hmm. happening. Do you you think that I'm I'm noticing what uh, Bill just picked up that the writer references that they not only neglected to show Hesed to Gideon, but also forgot what God had done. Mm-hmm. Do you think that maybe there's a point being made because of when I think about the cycle of sin and judges, mm-hmm. that there's a relationship between mm-hmm. not showing chesed, faithful, loyal love to God, and how that reflects to people and how we treat them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one of the things that really jumped out to me as I was preparing for this series is how God's chesed is not just this expectation of how God treats people, but right. that there's an expectation built into that of how we then treat one another. Mm-hmm. And so I totally, I think that's possible. Which incidentally and interestingly kind of helps us understand that third and fourth generation thing, mm-hmm. you know, that we talked about in a previous conversation that, you know, God's going to have judgment come to third and fourth generation when we turn away from his chesed. It's mm-hmm. like we forget what we've received and we don't employ it then Absolutely. in our relationships. There's a natural kind of consequence there. And throughout the whole Testament, what is one of God's most common refrains to the people? Do not forget mm-hmm. what I've done for you. Mm-hmm. Because as soon as we do, how does that impact us? Yeah. Well, then we start thinking that we're pretty amazing people and right. that we deserve it. And then we start treating other people not in the way God yeah. has. Yeah. And it's interesting that in the midst of being very forgetful people, there are some strategic times when people prayed to God to not forget them. Yeah. Well, but the God point. of has yeah. said, mm-hmm. loyal love doesn't forget. Mm-hmm. We might forget him, but he'll never forget mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's one of those innate promises that yeah. are tied into this word. So First Samuel 15, King Saul gives a group of soldiers called the Kenites the opportunity to leave the ranks of the Amalekites before a battle. Because in the past, the Kenites had showed chesed to the people of Israel when they had left Egypt. And so, again, this protective loyalty as King Saul gives them a chance to get away before a battle. And then I, I love the fact that the word chesed shows up in David and Jonathan's mm. story. Mm-hmm. So in 1 Samuel 20, verse 8, we see David flees Saul and runs to Jonathan And hesed is used to describe this loyalty and faithfulness and protectiveness that Jonathan shows to David. Mm. And then it kind of flips in 2 Samuel 9, 1, 
Uh, Lisa, what happens in that I story? I love this. This is after Saul has died and David wants to show kindness or God's hesed to someone in the lineage because of his relationship with Jonathan, and that's Mephibosheth. And he ends up crippled, but he eats at the king's table. Can I add something to that as well? Because one of the dangers sometimes in the concept of loyalty is that it can cause people to do unethical things Absolutely. to protect Ooh, or to good. cover people yeah. that they are, you know, feel Loyal a to. sense of obligation <laughs> to. And I think that this passage with David and, and Jonathan really reveals that there's a ethical component to Chesed that also is guided by truth because mm-hmm. it was not in Jonathan's personal interest to protect David, you know, because mm-hmm. his father Saul was the king. And so that meant that he would be the the next in line. And in fact, a rule by David would actually jeopardize his life because oftentimes they would wipe out the previous right. family. And so Jonathan's chesed to David is not governed by personal interests or mm-hmm. benefit. It's, it's governed by a sense of a divine understanding that God was doing something in David that was important mm-hmm. to protect, yeah. not his own interests. And I love the question that David asks, specifically Mm -hmm. in 2 Samuel, of, Mm -hmm. is there still anyone left of the house of Saul to whom I may show kindness, Mm -hmm. chesed, for Jonathan's sake? Mm. And so that sacrificial, Mm -hmm. faithful, steadfast love that Jonathan showed to David, I just get the sense here of David longing to show that same thing Mm -hmm. back to Jonathan's family. There's a keeping of promises, which we talked about in an earlier conversation, that you see threaded through that whole story. But there, you know, I I don't want to, take this the wrong way, but it also has a little bit of a transactional feel. Jonathan did good things for me, so I want to do good things for his family. Um, and we saw that in Rahab. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and and I, I think sometimes we tend to assume that transactional stuff is always poorly motivated mm-hmm. and poorly exercised, but it doesn't have to be if, it's, if it's in the realm of Hesed. That can take a transaction and turn it into a very lovely thing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it kind of ties into the motive there, yeah. right? Like, yeah. what is our motive for doing this? Is it because I really just want something more? And so I'm going to get into this transactional relationship, which a lot of times the word has said is used in that way, right? I mean, Rahab literally wants her and her family to be protected. Right. That's protect why she's you, using this word. You protect me. Right. But at the same time, there's a motive within all of these stories, I think, that once we pull on that thread, it's mm-hmm. like a, we want to do what's right. We want to be just. We want to be fair and kind to one another. Yeah, I think um, I'm thinking about this on a philosophical level. And there seems to be a truth that as we enter time and space, there are limitations to what we can do for others and, and who enters our orbit. And there seems to be a sense in which those who we have dealings with, the the right thing to do, the good thing to do is to remember those dealings and to honor their contribution to us. It kind of reminds me of loyalty clubs, right? Or, you know, there's this aspect where it's (laughs) like, hey, you come and you you patronize our establishment, you travel using our business. And so we're going to do right by you and remember Mm -hmm. the fact that you've done something for us. And I think that there's something 
a value to that. Yeah. And it usually feels awkward when one of those loyalty clubs is like, you have to do so much to get like any <laughs> honor or credit, right? right? So just two last uses of the word hesed in history books that I want to point out. One is there's quite a few references to people blessing others with the phrase, may the Lord show hesed or steadfast love to you. Hmm. Maybe that's something we should start doing for one hmm. another. And then Solomon used the word hesed a couple times. Uh, first in his prayer for wisdom, where he talked about, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, my father, David, and now you're showing this steadfast love to me. And then also in his dedication of the temple. And I think this is really beautiful. He said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and steadfast love for your servants who walk before you with all their heart. And then he goes on to describe, you know, just like my father, David walked before you. And so we have this faithfulness, this steadfast love tied into his dedication of the temple. And so there's something beautiful to me of the fact that, again, God used this everyday common word, chesed, and adopted it as a description of his love and the way that he deals with others. So it's a word that describes protective loyalty, kindness, and honor. Uh, and specifically, it's not just for God to show to us, but there's built into this chesed an expectation of how we treat one another as well. Yeah, and that is an important addition to seeing how important the use of the Hebrew word chesed is all throughout the Old Testament story. This loyal, faithful, kind, steadfast, unfailing kind of love is foundational to all of it and is an integral part of how the Old Testament is put together. Well, in this uh, next segment of the podcast, we're going to continue working our way through the Old Testament by going to the writings of the prophets and looking for the link between this chesed kind of love and the confronting of wrong and corrective issues that the prophets always seem to be involved in. And I think we'll also discover an important connection between chesed and justice. All right, so let's start with the major prophets and how we see chesed and how they talk about what God is like and what he's doing. So imagine you're in a job or a church setting where there's that one problem person, and they're a problem in many ways. Maybe in the job setting, it's a person that doesn't get their work done on time, or when they do, it's not well done or whatever. They also seem to maybe be working against everybody else is how it feels. Maybe if it's a church setting, it's the one who always is causing all the drama and they just also happen to be related to the pastor. <laughs> um, <laughs> and what's really tough in those circumstances is you can often see what's happening to the organization, but it feels like the people in leadership of the organization don't see what's happening. In fact, what are some of the, the things that happen in those settings often? Well, you use the word drama, and when you inject a lot of drama into an organization, it tends to upset the processes that are needed to get the mission accomplished of the mm -hmm. organization, whatever it is. I think there's a way in which um, <laughs> we've been talking about loyalty, but loyalty can take the form of favoritism. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of clear when you have your favorites, but to make it a little bit even more personal when you've worked with someone a long time or you've known them in another context and then they're hired into an organization sometimes our judgment is not as clear mm -hmm. because we're a little biased and that mm -hmm. can affect our decisions and other people can see it and we might miss it or vice versa mm -hmm. and who ends up typically leaving 
yeah i was i was gonna say that like usually it's those that you really don't you know wouldn't want to leave like when there's dysfunction in a situation that prompted by people being loyal to those who are causing the problems Mm -hmm. as opposed to those who are experiencing the the wake of it it ends up resulting in in really solid people who care about integrity and who care about the process Mm -hmm. leaving yeah And so I think what we hear in this is that there's some wisdom that we've learned from being in these types of situations. And that is that part of loving others includes those uncomfortable but necessary moments where we also hold people responsible or accountable. And when we do this, we not only show love to the person we're holding accountable, but we're also showing love to all the other people in our organizations or churches that are also impacted or suffering because of it. And so in this conversation, we're going to see God's said faithful love used in this way of accountability. And no surprise here, we'll specifically look at the Old Testament prophets, because that's kind of what a prophet was, right? Declare the truth and hold people accountable to the truth that they said, yes, we will do this. And so that's kind of what we'll see. Yeah, it's been said that the role of the priest was to represent the people before God. The role of the prophet was to represent God before the Mm, people. That's helpful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's look for where they drew attention to the good, but also called out what was bad and self-destructive. So Isaiah 16.5, this is going to be kind of a surprising moment. It's early in Isaiah, but Isaiah is describing in the midst of a lot of chaos the ideal of what's coming. So Isaiah 16, 5, maybe, Elisa, you could read that for us. You bet. When the oppressor is no more and destruction has ceased and marauders have vanished from the land, then a throne shall be established in steadfast love in the tent of David, and on it shall sit in faithfulness a ruler who seeks justice and is swift to do what is right. So where did we see the word chesed in there? I think it's steadfast love is Mm -hmm. how the throne is established. But I also see the ruler sitting in faithfulness. Is is that the same word? Um, It's not the same word. It's actually two different words. Yeah. So one quick note, this is poetry. And you'll see that in your Bible, the way that it's kind of pulled apart. Formatted. um, And formatted. Who's speaking here? This is Isaiah. Yep. And what's kind of the context of this passage? Well, Israel's falling apart, bottom line. I mean, they're, they're just disintegrating. And and Isaiah is speaking out as to what is going to happen eventually. Yep. And what's kind of the mantra or the most common description of the kings before Isaiah, during Isaiah? They were faithless. Faithless. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they often did what was right in their own eyes. Injustice is flourishing in Israel. The people are pursuing what's self-destructive. And Isaiah declares that things are going to break, Mm. but then also pushes the conversation even further to the hope at the end of that breaking, Mm -hmm. which is that God is going to do something about it. He's going to show his steadfast love through a prophetic king that is going to come. And what are the characteristics of that king? Mm. He'll be faithful. Mm -hmm. Justice. Mm -hmm. Yep. Do what's right. And I love the swift to Mm -hmm. do what's right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He doesn't wait around like in the situations we were describing at the beginning. He's swift to do what's right. Because one of the ways that injustice looks like it's delaying and delaying and delaying. You know, so you see someone who finally gets justice when they're like 
80 for something they yeah. did when they're 40 and it just doesn't feel right because right. they got to live those 40 years completely you know unaccountable and yeah. so there's something about the swiftness someone said justice delayed is justice denied yeah. and so yes. i think there's a, a reason why that swiftness matters yeah and in our governmental system our judicial processes are supposed to be defined by Right. swift response and and yet it seems Man. like trials go on right. for years and years mm-hmm. and years and then as you said i mean there's a thing called the innocence project where it deals with people who have been wrongly incarcerated trying to get them a new trial so that they mm-hmm. can be set free but they lose all those years mm-hmm. and sometimes they'll be like all right here's money to mm-hmm. try to make up for 60 years of right. lost life right. i mean you can't do that and what's interesting, though, is all these characteristics of this ruler, faithful, seeks justice, swift to do what's right, all of this comes because he sits on a throne of what? Steadfast, Steadfast love. Steadfast love. <laughs> I said oh. love. Oh. So let's jump to Jeremiah now. And I want to read one of the most beautiful passages, I think, related to Chesed. Maybe, Rasul, you could read it for us. Jeremiah 9, verses 23 through 24. Yeah, I got it. Thus says the Lord. Do not let the wise boast in their wisdom. Do not let the mighty boast in their might. Do not let the wealthy boast in their wealth, but let those who boast boast in this, that they understand and know me, that I am the Lord. I act with steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight, says the Lord. Oof, I love wow. the end of that. In these things I delight. Yeah. So who's speaking here? So this is Jeremiah says that it's the Lord speaking. Mm. Thus says the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So people are mourning the destruction of their nation. A chapter earlier, Jeremiah writes that things are so bad, quote, death shall be preferred to life by all the remnant that remains, right? That's how bad things are. There's a lot of disturbing passages that surround this passage. And yet, how does God describe himself and what he will do? Hesed, justice, righteousness. Yeah, and he's a God who delights in those things. And we've actually talked before on the series we did about justice and righteousness and how those two terms are often tied together. Do you remember at all kind of what we talked about in that? I find throughout the Old Testament, it, it often says they're going to celebrate God. And you, you would expect from a New Testament perspective, they're going to celebrate him for his love, but they'll say, because he is just. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because and, you can't really be loving without being just. And, yeah. and that that was a real pop for me. But of course, that makes sense, you know, to really understand that loving kindness includes making things right. And it means a loyalty to God and a loyalty to others that yeah. says, I'm going to be faithful mm-hmm. to do what's right by you, even when it might benefit me not to, to overlook your pain because mm-hmm. you can't do anything for me, right? Like yeah. I'm still yeah. going to remember you, I'm going to see your situation and I'm going to give and administer what you rightfully ought to have and even at, at my own expense. Yeah. And that's what Jonathan revealed, you know, in our previous conversation. And that's what the mm. like epitome of steadfast love looks like. Yeah. It's like God's steadfast love, justice, righteousness are so intertwined mm-hmm. that it's impossible to know where one begins and one ends, mm-hmm. right? His chesed, his righteousness and his justice, they're just so meshed together that, you know, it's like a big 
ball of multiple yarns, but they're all the same color. And you're like, well, which one's which? It's like, no, Mm -hmm. God just is that. (laughs) (laughs) And we really see this in Jeremiah 31 verse three, which is just another beautiful passage. Jeremiah is speaking uh, here saying that this is the Lord. This is the Lord declaring this. And what does the Lord declare there? Bill, you got that one. Yeah, Jeremiah 31, 3. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Yeah, what's interesting here is those other words for love are not chesed. The word faithfulness is is chesed chesed here. But it just kind of proves the point. Because what kind of love is God loving us with? Mm Mm-hmm. Or in this context, Israel, it's a everlasting Everlasting, faithfulness, thousand generations. And what is faithfulness (laughs) if not a love that doesn't end, right? (laughs) Right, an everlasting love, a love that can be trusted. Mm. Yeah, and so Hesed represents not only God's extravagant and faithful love, but also His desire to deal with the brokenness and injustices in the world, which we kind of talked about at the beginning of our conversation. God doesn't look past evil or injustice. His love doesn't sugarcoat it or ignore brokenness. He does something about it. And how does God deal with it? He deals with it with his chesed. Um, and so I thought maybe to close this conversation, we could just reread Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24, which I said was one of my favorite passages as it relates to chesed. Mm-hmm. Because I think this just, again, just beautifully captures why we're even talking about this in this series. So Lisa, would you read that for us? You bet. Thus says the Lord, do not let the wise boast in their wisdom. Do not let the mighty boast in their might. Do not let the wealthy boast in their wealth. But let those who boast boast in this, that they understand and know me, that I am the Lord. I act with steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. That they understand and know me. I am the Lord. I act with steadfast love, justice, and righteousness, for in these things I delight. Yeah, and that is how in the prophets we see the story of the Old Testament being told with that word chesed as the foundation. And I think it was important to see how chesed and justice are tied together and how love, chesed love, is willing to confront and ask hard questions and wade into those messy situations like the prophets often did. And so we will go to the minor prophets in the closing part of this episode and see how those 12 shorter writing prophets communicated the idea of hesed. I think you'll be impressed by the different ways they contribute to this theme as well. But first, let's take about 60 seconds to look ahead to where the group goes for our next study. And then we'll finish off this look at how the Hebrew word chesed is a major part of how the Old Testament helps us know what God is like and sets the stage for Jesus to come and be the culmination of the story. Next time on the Discover the Word podcast, Elisa Morgan leads Mark DeHaan and Bill Crowder and Daniel Ryan Day in a new study for Christmas called Mary's Song. When the angel Gabriel informs this virgin, Mary, that she become pregnant with the Messiah, she responds with a big yes. But then she goes on and she offers up this song of praise called the Magnificat in Latin. And I began to think about, I haven't ever really looked at this section of scripture in Luke chapter 1 really on its own. And I want to invite us to do that, to think, what did her melody to God mean 
for her in her day? What did it mean to Luke? Why did he include it? And then what does it mean for us? And perhaps how we might voice those words to God in our day. Yeah, it's a special Christmas series called Mary's Song on the next Discover the Word podcast. And now let's pick up the conversation about chesed, where we left off by exploring more ways that key Hebrew word appears in the Old Testament writings of the prophets. So in our last conversation, we ended with Jeremiah 9, verses 23 through 24. And I want to pick up with some of those ideas here Mm -hmm. as well. So in Jeremiah, what are the people, I guess, boasting in that actually feel really relatable to me (laughs) as I think about Mm -hmm. today? Success. Uh, Wisdom. Mm -hmm. I I think about education, wealth, knowledge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Strength. Probably military might is what I'm guessing is meant by might there. Yeah. Yeah, and so God, through Jeremiah, is reorienting them to what's truly most important or truly life-giving, and what is that? Really our connection to God, you Mm -hmm. know, that we are His and He is ours. Yeah, and to boast in the fact that we know Him. His character. Which is a pretty powerful idea, that we understand and know the Lord. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean in this context? Yeah. That he is the God of steadfast love, justice, and righteousness. But I like what you're pulling out there, Daniel, because not only is it stunning and surprising that he's a God of steadfast love and righteousness, but we can know him. (laughs) That's radical. And I think it's radical because what it does is it redefines what even boasting is. All the Mm -hmm. other boasting is Mm -hmm. based on what somebody has within them. Mm -hmm. And this, he's actually describing who he is. So it's like... Boast in knowing the one who's the only one who should be able to boast, (laughs) which Mm. is really Mm -hmm. focused on his attributes and character, not my ability to know Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And to know it so deeply Mm -hmm. that it changes the way that we interact with the world and with others. Mm -hmm. Right. That's that's what's happening here. Do you know who really understood that? Well, Jonah. Yeah. (laughs) And we're going to see that. Shockingly. (laughs) Um, (laughs) He was totally convinced that God was a God of said love, justice, and righteousness. And he wasn't real happy about it. <laughs> and he wasn't actually. happy about it. So let's read it. Jonah chapter 4, verses 2 through 3. Elisa, would you read that for us? Sure. Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said while I will still in my own country? That's why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. All right. What's the context here? (laughs) The context is God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. He goes in the opposite direction, Mm -hmm. fleeing to Tarshish, it says, from the presence of the Lord. Now, he can go to Tarshish. He can't flee from the presence of the Lord. (laughs) God detours him back through the belly of a great fish. And then when he goes to Nineveh, he preaches this message, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The shortest sermon ever. Yeah, and (laughs) from the king on down, the people repent. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like Jonah's saying in Jonah 4, that's why I didn't want to go. I knew you wouldn't be able to help yourself. If they repented, you just (laughs) have to forgive them. I'm trying to protect you Mm -hmm. from yourself. Yeah. In fact, Early on in the book of Jonah, you just assume the reason he's running away is probably for safety, right? Nineveh is a pretty dangerous place. They're Israel's enemies. It's probably because he just, you know, Mm -mm. I don't want to risk my life in that way. 
But then in chapter four, he tells us why he really didn't want to go because he did not want God to show them mercy. (laughs) And he knew that God would. That's how convinced he was that God was a God of chesed, love, justice, and righteousness. Which brings us to another story in the Minor Prophets, the book of Hosea, which maybe more than anything else that we've talked about, just beautifully illustrates God's faithfulness when we're unfaithful. Mm -hmm. And that's really what Hesed love is all about. So let's start at the beginning, chapter 2, verse 20. Rasul, would you read that for us and really emphasize that word Hesed there? Yep. I will take you for my wife in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. Hmm. So who's speaking here? So this is the Lord speaking. And what's he describing? What's the context here? Israel. Yeah. Israel is pictured as the wife of God, but as an adulterous wife. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Unfaithful, yeah. Who served other gods instead of him. Mm -hmm. So he's taking an unfaithful Israel as his wife, but being faithful to her. Mm -hmm. And so God's faithfulness here in this story we see is not dependent on the faithfulness of the people to which God is being faithful to which is a pretty amazing thing. And of course, we're going to see that throughout the life of Jesus, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. How about Hosea chapter four, verse one? Maybe Bill, you could read that for sure. us. Hear the word of the Lord, O people of Israel, for the Lord has an indictment. That's a strong word. Mm-hmm. The Lord has an indictment against the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or loyalty and no knowledge of God in the land. Yeah, so the word has said is which word there? Loyalty. Mm-hmm. Loyalty. Mm-hmm. There's no faithfulness or loyalty and no knowledge of God in the land. Now that should that jump triggers at... back to Jeremiah 9, mm-hmm. right? But that you know me. Mm-hmm. And so it's yeah. not like they don't know about God. It's they've lost sight of who God really is, which yeah. is this God of steadfast love. And how do we know that? Because they're the ones not being faithful and not living it out, which is interesting. So God's speaking there, talking about how unfaithful and disloyal the people have been to him. The metaphor of the whole book is literally they're sleeping around on God as their husband. And so there's this large dissonance that begins to build between God's extravagant, faithful, loyal, protective love and the overwhelming size of human disloyalty and unfaithfulness. And yet God's loyal, steadfast love Hesed love is bigger and stronger than even the greatest of disloyalties. Yeah, and I notice when you put Jonah and Hosea together side by side, um, you also see this thing where Jonah's part of his revulsion of the idea of Nineveh's repentance was because he thought they were so bad, the Assyrians Mm -hmm. and what they did to the Northern Kingdom and all of the things that were just their brutality. So he was like, I don't want to have anything to do with seeing these people be redeemed because they are the worst, right? Mm -hmm. And yet, when you look at Hosea, (laughs) you see God turning the light on the people of Israel, right? Like, you know, who's supposed to be the people of God and saying, you're no better, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it just reminds me that perhaps because of that ethical dynamic of Hesed, that the sense of which we understand and grasp how chesed isn't just for those people over there, mm-hmm. but it's for me as well. Mm-hmm. It might cause me to see the need for me to go to those people over there and proclaim God's chesed to them too. Yeah. And that really well tees up this next passage too, Hosea 6, verse 6. Go ahead and sure. read that, Rasul. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. 
because that's the way that they often felt like they were fine before mm-hmm. God, that yeah. they were righteous because they're doing it. all the right things, mm-hmm. quote unquote. It sounds like the Pharisees. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it doesn't sound like us, mm-hmm. right? Totally. <laughs> I'm not that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and so here he's describing what is the thing, the only thing he asks of his people, not to do burnt sacrifices perfectly. What is the one thing that God most desires mm-hmm. from his people? Steadfast that they would know him. That they would know him. Yep. And that they would be people of steadfast love, just like him. Yeah, I think that's the ironic part. Even when you get to Jonah, throughout the series, you've been reminding us, Daniel, that the more we get to know the God of Hesed love, the more that should be how we interact with other people. Jonah is fully convinced that God is a God of Hesed love, but Mm -hmm. it has no impact on how he views the people of Nineveh. Right, which is why I think in chapter four, the irony of his pettiness yeah. is exposed to say, do you really understand the mind <laughs> right. of love? Because if you did, then you would see how much you need it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He has compassion on the plant, mm-hmm. but he doesn't have compassion on people. On a, on yeah. people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's why I think Jonah ends in such a surprising way yeah. when God's like, how can I not have compassion on all these people? That's how extravagant my steadfast love is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Joel also, uh, the prophet Joel also picks up on the God desiring steadfast love over sacrifice in Joel two verses 12 through 13. He says, yet even now says the Lord return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping and with mourning, rend your hearts and not your clothing (laughs) return to the Lord, your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relents from punishing. So here we see those remnants of Exodus 20 and Exodus 34, which most of the times when the Psalms also quote who God is, they use that phrase. He's a God of steadfast love and slow to anger. Mm -hmm. We see that throughout the Psalms as well. And I love the phrase, rend your hearts Mm. and not your clothing. What do we think that means? Well, in ancient Israel, if somebody was going to display mourning or grief or even repentance, they would tear their clothes. And what God's saying is, I don't want a big show. I just want your heart. Yeah. And so the last passage I want us to look at is kind of surprising because I didn't expect the word chesed to show up in it. But it's one of the most famous passages from the Old Testament that we share all the time. And it's Micah 6, 8. And so, Rasul, would you read that for us and really uh, give us that emphasis on chesed in this one? He has told you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So we have this beautiful summary statement of what God's expectations are for his people. And it goes back right to where we started this conversation, that he is a God of steadfast love of righteousness, of justice. And as a result, he calls us as his people, as his image bearers in the Mm -hmm. world, to also be a people who do justice, love chesed, show God's chesed to the world and walk humbly with God. When we think about the phrase, God is love, we often think of 1 John, Mm -hmm. and we should. Mm -hmm. We should rightly think of (laughs) 1 John. But God has been revealing himself from the very beginning of the book, as a God of chesed, a God of love. He is a God of extravagant, faithful, loyal love that pursues his people even when they're disloyal to him. 
This chesed love is so much a part of who God is <laughs> that God introduces himself to the world as a God of chesed. And then the whole story of the Bible is him proving over and over and over again that he's loyal and that he's faithful to his kids. And ultimately, we see this in Jesus. Mm. When God comes to us by becoming like us, by becoming a man and laying down his very life out of love for his kids. Because that's what chesed does, and that's who God is. You've been listening to the Discover the Word podcast alongside Daniel Ryan Day, Bill Crowder, Elisa Morgan, and Rasul Berry. In this episode, our Bible study team has been exploring the use and meaning of the Hebrew word chesed, and how throughout the Old Testament, it is a major word that describes what God is like. This word should come to mind first, no matter what we're reading in the Old Testament, because this is what God is like. I'm glad you were here at the table with us, and I hope you found this as eye-opening a study as we did. Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. And as we approach the end of the year, just want to say thanks because it is thanks to the generous donations from listeners like you that we're able to make the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible understandable and accessible to people all around the world. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give a one-time end-of-year gift or you can sign up to become one of our Discover the Word partners and then give a gift of whatever size you choose every month. Simply visit discovertheword.org and click Donate to get that process started. Well, thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedinga. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministry.